So this morning, I'm going to just set the tone for the, the next sort of, oh, thank you, the next um, season of preaching. As you are aware, we finished our series on Jude last week, which was called Contending for Faith. And we're going to be starting a new series now called Family Matters. Um, and so I'm just going to try and introduce that to you and kind of set the tone of what we'd like to do for the next year or so as we go forward. So remember, Jude was trying to encourage us to contend for faith, especially in terms of opposition uh, and challenge from outside influences that try and come into the church to change the nature of the church. And it's a particularly apt book to have had a look at because obviously at the moment we face great cultural challenges uh, which seem to be at odds with what the church has traditionally held to and taught. And we live in this age which is rapidly changing and in an ongoing way, and obviously that's affecting every, one, every single one of us. When I was at university, um, one of the books that I read was a book called Future Shock by a guy called Alvin Toffler. I don't know if you're familiar with that name, but he wrote in the 1970s, this book was published called Future Shock, and it really um, came to symbolize a, fr a psychological framework that he, he kind of said all of us are going to be uh, experiencing, and in this book, he gave this he gave this definition about he said future shock is when we experience too much change in too short a period of time, and when that happens, we all we all experience experience future shock. And so his main argument in this book is that our culture, our society, is transitioning from an industrial society to what he called a super-industrial society. We would call it a tech technological society. And because this change is so rapid, it overwhelms us and stresses us as people. And so um, he argues that this accelerated rate of te technological and social change leaves people disconnected. It leaves people suffering what he calls shattering stress and disorientation and he used this term future shock to summarize all of that. And he said also that the majority of our social problems and symptoms are part of this future shock that we are all going through. And uh, if you've ever heard the, the term information overload, that's one of the, one of the phrases that he coined in, in, while writing this book. And I would also argue that we need to add into that this rapid cultural change or the culture wars that we are engaged in right now which also leave us feeling stressed and disorientated and that things are changing so fast. Uh, in the UK, it was only as recently as 2013 that the Parliament passed the Same-Sex uh, Marriage Act, which made introduced civil marriage for same-sex couples. That's only eight years ago. Now, in historical terms, that's a very short space of time. And if you think how much has changed in the last eight years, it is very, very rapid the way that things have changed over the last uh, eight years. And so, perceptions towards family have changed, social structures have changed quickly, and that really is one of the greatest challenges that we face, is trying to cope with all of this as Christians and still allow the Bible to inform our worldview and how we, uh, how we look at all of these things. So, that's one issue, but I, obviously I could uh, add on to that many other problems that we've had for many years, the ongoing problem of racism in our culture, violence and disc discrimination against women, misogyny, um, the great environmental challenges that face us as, as in, in terms of our modern world, 
And the big question for us as Christians is how do we respond and take these on biblically, but at the same time with compassion and respect for every single person? It's a great challenge, isn't it? And so that's what we're going to be trying to um, speak into over the course of this year. And one of the foundational things that we've talked about as a preaching team is how we talk about these things. So it's not only the subject matter, it's not only addressing issues that are really pertinent in our culture, but it's how do we speak to each other about these things. And so one of the key building blocks that we've agreed on in terms of how we want to speak about these things is summarized in our little phrase about being church as family, all right? And what we mean by that is, is, is this. So we've called this series Family Matters because on the one hand, it is about cultural issues that are really of importance, that really do matter. On the other hand, it's also about the sense that family matters. In other words, we want to value relationship and value each other as we talk about these things. And so it's for us foundationally underpinning everything is how we can continue to be a church family How can we learn to speak to each other about difficult subjects and work out our relationships uh, as God intends, given the pressure of our culture and other worldviews that undermine undermine all um, biblical values and unity and love and things like that? So it's important for us as we take on these, these subjects, how we process them and what values we hold to underpin everything that we talk about, all right? And so we've planned, as an introduction, we've planned as a preaching team, we've planned five sessions over the next weeks that run, run up to the summer holidays. Um, and so next week, Helen is going to introduce everything with a prophetic sense of what God has been saying to us as a church. Um, and we, we've, we've, looked, we've called that message the tipping point. And we want to reflect in terms of the prophetic things that God has spoken over our church and how that's informed much of what we've done, and how that can inform us as we go forward. So that will be next week. The following week, Clive is going to speak on church as family, and how we can continue to build love and trust together as a foundation for this church community. Uh, Week three, Michael, uh, Michael Hunter is going to speak on the gospel narrative, and how that intersects intersects with the, the cultural narrative that we have right now. What is the what does the big arc of the gospel and salvation have to say about our, how does that intersect into our worldview and what the world is saying? And fourthly, we're going to look at the fact that we want to celebrate our multicultural diversity in this church, and John is going to do that in week four. Um, and it's a wonderful thing. We, we kind of had a look recently at our, our community list, and there are 28 different nationalities in this church. Isn't that an amazing thing? Yeah. And, and we want to celebrate that. Uh, that's not just that we're trying to be politically correct. It's because right in the foundation of this church, God said to us that we would be a multicultural, multi-generational church. And we've intentionally tried to build like that. The picture was from Isaiah 43, where it said, there's a prophetic picture where God says, I'm going to do this in the wasteland, in the desert place. I'm going to make streams flow in barren huts, and I'm going to put together the myrtle, the cypress, the acacia, the fir tree, all these different kinds of trees that don't normally grow together in the same geography. God says, I'm going to do this, and it's going to be so that people can say, it's the Lord's hand that has done this. And so that's what we've aimed at, multicultural church a multi-generational church, and we want to celebrate the fact that we're seeing that. For me, it's also very basically been a picture of heaven. You know, he- heaven one day is going to be every culture, redeemed culture. 
every tribe, every tongue, every people group before the throne of God with redeemed cultures, sinless cultures, and we're going to be celebrating before the throne room of God. Now, as an African, I hope the Africans will lead worship in heaven one day. I do. But anyway, whoever leads worship, I know it's going to be glorious, all right? But this is the point. This is the point. We want to celebrate our cultural diversity and that we are all included in God's kingdom. And John's going to look at that as well in week number four. Uh, number five, we're going to look at uh, Ed is going to be speaking on the fact that we are also multi-generational. So how do we engage? In this church, we have people from the baby boomer. I'm a, I'm a baby boomer right at the end of baby booming, uh, the baby booming age, right through to Gen, Gen Z. We have all of those age groups for, um, represented in this church. How do we learn to speak to each other and actually hear each other given our different generations? How do parents really listen to what their teenagers are saying and hear from their teenagers? And how do teenagers really listen to their parents and hear from their parents and grandparents and aunts? And it's a real challenge, isn't it? Because we all have our background. We all have our, our frame of reference. We all have our history. And we try to bring that into these conversations that we really can understand each other. And that's a great challenge. So I want to encourage you, uh, as Ed um, shares, as a... As a Basis for us as we go forward. And that should take us up to our barbecue, our picnic, our church picnic in July, where we hope you can join with us and we um, are going to celebrate together. Right, so that's just a little outline of where we want to go. The second thing I want to say is this, is that um, we do want to break this into bite-sized chunks, right? Because you can't take on everything all at once. It's just going to exhaust everybody and uh, we don't want to do that. So at the same time, as we try and take on some of these topical things in our culture, we're going to be pre preaching through 1 Peter, so you can prepare yourself, start reading that in your devotions, to underpin what we are going to do theologically, so we're going to do a kind of alternation. We're going to talk about one particular subject, and then we're going to talk about some theology and how the two engage, all right? We want to be informed by the Bible in everything that we're doing. And so as we're talking about these topical things and cultural challenges that we face, let the Bible be informing us every step of the way. And so that's what we're going to do. So some of the topics we're going to look at over the next year are gender and sexual orientation. What does the Bible have to say about that? Why should we be married? What's marriage got to do with all of this? Um, do we value marriage? Why, why should we, we, we um, value marriage? What about tackling racism in, our, in the society that's endemic in our society? What about mental health and challenges of, the challenges of social media? Uh, how do we engage with those? What about AI and future shock? How do we engage with that? So Jesse was telling us uh, that uh, this, the reality is that in the future, <laughs> we're not going to worry about our bodies so much anymore because many people will have exoskeletons, and it really will be like Iron Man. It really will be. Uh, cool. <laughs> uh, and we, we think this is so far off. We think this is, and uh, actually it's not that far off. That already they're experimenting with people that have had uh, physical disabilities, that they're getting an exoskeleton enabling them to walk, and that your body will be reinforced in so many ways. How do we, how do we deal with these things? This seems like science fiction. It's not science fiction. It's here. It's happening. Did you see Elon Musk, just uh, if, if you've been watching the night sky, did you see the, um, the satellite link chain that he put up? 
If you look in the night sky, you can go online, you can see 60 satellites that he launched at the same time that look like a jewelry necklace in the night sky. 60. And they are all there to um, brighten our night sky and to provide fast um, broadband for parts of the world that can't access broadband. So they've launched 60 satellites all at the same time that look like this diamond necklace across the night sky. It sounds like science, science fiction. It's happened. It's already here. It's been done. All right? <laughs> and so all of these things are going to impact us, and change is coming faster and faster and faster. How do we deal with it? How do we learn from it? How do we engage with it? And then, obviously, inequality and uh, caring for the poor. So those are some of the t topics we, can, um, we want to have a look at. As you can see, they, are, they, they will tax us, and so we have to, we have to take it in bite-sized chunks. And thirdly, I want to say this. Um, we, we want to stress the importance of different forums and different ways of creating space to have dialogue and discussion and to really listen and facilitate conversation. That's what we want to do, all right? And so to do that, we want to use, utilize interviews, uh, testimonies, people telling their stories, group chats, and so we're going to use different forums. We're going to use the Sunday Night Cafe, where we can get together in smaller groups to talk. We're going to, obviously, upstairs, uh, we're going to use the, the, the um, youth and kids ministry for the kids to talk with each other. We're going to have different forums for men and women to talk about different things together. And so that's part of what we want to do. So it's not just preaching from the front on a Sunday. It's engaging with each other and dialoguing together about these things that we can learn from each other. And... Um, uh, we've been doing the well-being course. One of the researchers for the well-being course, um, a girl called Carol Dweck, says this, that there are two opposing mindsets in the world right now. One is a fixed mindset where people believe that their qualities or their personality traits are absolutely fixed and you can't change those, all right? So it's like, you know, can't, uh, can't teach an uh, old dog new tricks or the leopard never changes its spots. That's the one mindset. Or the other mindset is that you can grow as a person, and there's an underlying belief that you can learn and your intelligence grows over time with experience and with learning. So I want to encourage you, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as someone who's continually open to learning new things and being changed by the power of the Spirit? Or do you see that you largely have fixed your mindset and it's not going to change very much? My encouragement is that part of being the joy of being a Christian is that all of us have the privilege of walking by the Holy Spirit and being transformed day by day to be more and more like Jesus. And therefore, for me, part of being a Christian is that you are changing all the time from one degree of glory to another. That's how the Bible puts it. That's what it means, that the Holy Spirit is not finished with us. He's determined that we're going to change and we will be perfect one day when Jesus comes back or we go to be in heaven. But until that time, you and I are learning to change daily by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. And so, um, uh, just another reference. Uh, before this COVID-19 pandemic, a guy called Henry Cloud, who's a psychologist, he, he said that for all of us uh, as human beings, we struggle with feelings of insecurity when we feel that we're not in control of our lives. And uh, I'm certainly sure that... This last year has highlighted that for all of us. There's certain things that we just know we can't control. And so here's the thing. He encourages us to write down a list of the things that you can control and to write down a list of the things that you can't control. 
And then to uh, not try and take responsibility for what you can't control, but to take responsibility for what you can control. And I think that's great wisdom in terms of um, how we navigate through all these things with COVID as we come out of the lockdown. What things can we control? What things can't we control? Take responsibility for what we can, and don't worry about what we can't. A lot of people right now worrying about what if, what if this, what if that, what if that. Well, you can't control the what ifs. You've got to let it happen first before you can react. Okay? And so let's take responsibility for what we can control as we go forward together. Uh, the other thing I want to encourage you with as we, th- as we think about talking with each other is this. Um, how do you, are you aware of how your emotions affect other people? Are you self-aware that how you respond really does affect other people? You know, the, the encouragement of Galatians 5.22 is that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so I want to encourage you as we start to engage with one, one another, that one of the things that we really do trust the Holy Spirit to do in our lives is to help us manage our emotions. Because as soon as you start talking about difficult things, what happens? Emotions go like this, and all of your kind of your defense mechanisms go up, and you, kind of, you can find yourself getting angry with what, what someone has said if it's a radically different view to yours. Well, actually, we need to engage in a loving and patient, kind way with each other, even if our, our positions are quite different. Um, remember John Donne? I read this poem the other day, No Man is an Island. Remember? We are designed for relationship. We are designed for community by the Lord Jesus. And so as we think about engaging with each other, let's do it wisely so that at the very center we're preserving our relationships and not alienating each other in the process. And so I want to just finish with two things. And, and the, the first is this. It's I'd just like to um, think a little bit about, I've mentioned this before, but I think it's so important as we go forward and as we try and engage with each other. I read an article online this week in the Business Insider in which 11 different experts in different areas were referenced, uh, educationalists, tech, technical people, business people, to share from their perspective, how the internet is, help, is polarizing our society more and more. Um, and I think it's a very important thing to uh, consider as we think about this because so many of us are informed by what we read or see on the internet. And so we need to be aware of how um, this is affecting us. And uh, uh, the re- reference for this article very much is America. Um, but... The reality is whatever happens in America begins to inform what happens all over the world. So we do need to be aware of this. And this is what um, uh, this research has said. It said, Americans are becoming increasingly intolerant with people with opposing views. And increasingly, our digital lives are part of the problem. So research from Stanford University shows that between 1975 and 2017, animosity between Democrats and Republicans nearly doubled right? Politically. So people are more and more um, unkind in how they actually uh, disagree with each other politically. Now, I was sure you two became really aware of this with the elections, last election, with how people responded to Donald Trump on the one hand and Joe Biden on the other. And now I've, I did an exercise this week. I just went online and I researched uh, a number of, of web pages and Facebook pages, and it was amazing to me that if you were a pro-Trump supporter, uh, 
very few pages had anything positive to say about Joe Biden (laughs) and vice versa. If you were a Biden supporter, had nothing good to say about the Republicans on the other hand. Increasingly polarized, so polarized, no kind of engagement, just dismissing people on the one hand and dismissing people on the other. Or the whole thing around COVID and vaccinations. Uh, you get these polarized views, and my, 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 my reality is much more gray. It's, it's so much more gray than we think it is. <laughs> but we like it to be black or white. And, and, and so we have to learn how do we engage with each other in a meaningful way. And, and, and um, this research was done before COVID. It was do, do, done before George, George Floyd's death, before the presidential elections. Uh, and, and so I would suggest that it's even more polarized now. And I want to add one more thing in that I think we need to think about, and this is becoming increasingly uh, obvious. I think the greater challenge as we go forward is not between polarization politically, but it's between this. It's the challenge on the one hand of people that want to live by and affirm what is real, what is tested by facts, and what is tested by research on the one hand, and other people that are prepared to live by a narrative that is unreal, untested, unproven, and yet perpetuated by social media. That is the great challenge. How do you engage with people logically when there doesn't seem to be any logic in the argument? It's just something I've read on the internet, unproven, not validated by any kind of research, and we are encouraged to ignore the real research and the validation of, of science on the other hand. This is a weird world in which we live. That, for me, is going to be the greatest, greatest challenge. How do we engage with that? How do we help people to engage constructively when those are the kind of polarizations that we uh, experience? And so it is a, 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 it's a complicated uh, topic. Um, documentaries like The Social Dilemma, has anyone watched that documentary? If you haven't, I encourage you to do that. It shows in a powerful way how tech companies um, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally influence our behavior in the world through algorithms that determine what we see and what we read uh, online. And so I want to just encourage you that as we think about all of these things and try and engage with all of these things, that we really do thoughtfully engage and, and think about how the Internet is designed so that we can navigate both our on- online life and our real life <laughs> in a way that humanizes other people and makes us better informed and it helps us to find common ground with each other rather than doing the opposite. Yeah? I think this is the great challenge. Um, so one of these uh, people that I, I've been reading, a lady called uh, Joel, I don't know how to pronounce this, Joel, Jolina Singdan from the University of Sydney, she said this, So far, the conversation has been all about technology, whereas it should be the other way around. The internet and social media have only become widely used in the past two decades or so, meaning that we're just beginning to establish norms around how people should or shouldn't behave online. Instead, she says, we should be asking, what does being a person in a community mean? Man, I think she's hit it right on the head. What does a person being in a community mean? What does it look like? And how do we engage with that when much of our lives are informed by what is online? She says this. um, 
she was in Trinidad recently where she was doing some research. And she, she says, in, in Trinidad, there's a stronger desire to fit into to, with your community, while in America, there's a stronger sense of individualism. These values play out on people's online behavior. So she says this, all the sort of, sorts of extremes we've seen in the, this last year in America is very much the externalization of, I am an individual. Isn't that the heart of it? I can say and do what I like because I am an individual. She adds that Americans tend to engage in political conversations with complete strangers or share conspiracy theories partly because they place more value on their individual identity than on community. And this is my point. We are the body of Christ. The church always is about community. I've got increasingly less and less time for people who sit on the fringes of church and judge community and say they love Jesus without loving God's people and can't be bothered to be part of a local church. I have so little time left in my heart. Why? Because it's not the gospel. It never has been the gospel. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in community together. Jesus had a band of friends that were his disciples that were community together. The book of Acts is full of churches that are communities together. And we are called to be the body of Christ, diverse people drawn under the blood of the cross, a community together. That's what we're called to be. Always has been. That's what church is. You cannot love Jesus without loving his church. You can't. You can't be on the outside in your little group, just you and your buddies on the outside and say that you are the church. You're not the church. This is the church. All of God's people gathered together. And so I'm not angry. <laughs> I'm just saying we have to find a way of engaging with people on the outside to, say, to convince them, actually, no, this, this is the family of God. We are family together. Yes. And uh, obviously these online things don't help. And so here's my encouragement. We want to learn to listen to each other without withdrawing into camps, without becoming more polarized in our views, by being aware of the biases that we perhaps tend towards online and then engaging constructively with each other to really listen to what people say. And so I'll finish with this this morning. The last little thing I'd like to reference is um, a blog by a lady that I've never met, but she says some great things. And her name is Annie Morelli, and she's Anne Morelli, and she says this, um, the importance of listening to one another's stories. The importance of listening to one another's stories. She says this, Our stories matter. Stories are an entry point for us to become known. And we want to be known, don't we? And that's why testimony is such a powerful thing. Because when you get to share your story of what God has done in your life, and what, where you've come from, and where you're going, people really get to know who you are. And, and suddenly your life becomes open in a way that it hasn't been before. Where there's fertile space cleared, there's greater understanding, compassion, and appreciation. Where others can be inspired and influenced and connections, relationships can flourish. She says this, for it's not just important to tell stories, but it's equally important that others listen to our story. It's not just about the telling, it's also about the listening. It's how you receive what other people say. It's how, how, about you, how you engage with their history 
and really try and understand where they're coming from and why they think like they do and, and wh- why they say what they do. Every one of us have a different background. And so it says this, listening both with our minds and with our hearts, listening carefully to what is being verbalized and being particularly attentive to the underlying heartbeat of the words. What is the person really saying? Why are they saying that? What has is, what is f- um, fashioned them so that they think in a particular way? And she says this, when we actively listen, we validate the speaker Our attention affirms that they really matter, that their experiences matter, and whatever is on their heart and mind matters. Yes, that's how we want to engage with one another. I really want to hear why you think like you do, why you say what you do. On our staff, we have a beautiful staff, and uh, we are, uh, there's Helen and I, who are the, the old, no, I'm the old one, not you. (laughs) <laughs> we are the, the senior contingent on this team. And then we, have, we have some delightful people. We have Katrina, who is in her late 20s, and uh, she's got a whole different background from what we have. And we have Rachel, who's married to Barson, and, th- and they have a whole different background to what we have. And we have Derek, and we have, who else do we have? Sorry? Becky! Oh, Clive, of course. <laughs> yes, Clive. And all of us have different backgrounds. And what we have started to do on our staff team is just ask each other. You know, we're aiming at being a multicultural church. So we, we asked Rachel and, and Katrina, are we, have we really made you feel like there's no racial prejudice here at all on this team? It's a very important question because we can be aiming at one thing, But in reality, we might be unintentionally living out another. So we've asked them. We said, how's it been for you? How can we do this better? How can we learn from each other? How can we change so that it becomes more and more space that we celebrate every single person? And why do I say that? Well, it's very important that we do it on the staff because if we're going to try and live it out with 28 different nationalities in the church, we're going to have to work really, really hard at listening to each other and really understanding each other and saying, I want to learn from your story. Help me. Amen. That's what we want to get engaged in so we can grow together. So actively listening is a real skill or activity And in time, it does become easy with practice. And so she finishes with this. She says, eventually, we learn how to listen with open, invested, compassionate hearts and growing in our ability to accept and embrace hard truths about someone else's story, becoming able to breathe love and grace into each other's stories. Amen? We want to breathe love and grace into this church community and to every single story of every single person's life. And so I want to encourage you as we think about these things that uh, come in from our culture, that we're doing all that we can to keep our hearts soft by the power of the Holy Spirit, to genuinely listen to each other, to give people time, to be attentive so we can grow. And we can really, really understand what the Bible has to say and how it informs the way that we live. And it is increasingly a challenge to live as a Christian in this community. Well, how does the Bible help us to do that compassionately while at the same time contending for faith and not trying to change the gospel?
keeping the gospel the gospel, contending for faith, and compassionately engaging with each other. Amen. So that's where we're going. I hope it excites you. It's going to be a, a great, great time over the next, next year, and let's, let's encourage each other as we do that. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to finish. Finished early today. It's a good thing. Let's pray together. Father, we, we do want to just thank you for your presence in our lives, but most of all, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would continue to teach us as the great teacher. I want to thank you, Lord, that when you teach us, you do it perfectly, you do it well. When you encourage us to change, you do it without ripping us in any way. That you lovingly, kindly lead us towards change and towards understanding by the perfect power of your Holy Spirit. And so we trust you, Lord, over this next year as we really want to engage with things that are such important things in our culture right now. Lord, we, help that you, we pray that you'd help us to hear each other, to learn from each other that we would not be informed more by the internet and by social media than we are by your gospel, that your gospel would inform our hearts and that would inform everything else. We trust you, Lord, that you do that deep work in us. Help us as we engage with people from different cultures, different ages, different nationalities. Lord, we want to be a demonstration of your church, that picture that we have in heaven one day of glorious, glorious people from all over every culture and tribe and nation, celebrating before the throne of all that Christ has done to redeem us. Lord, help us to keep that picture in our minds and in our hearts as we go forward. Teach us, Lord, this year. We, we trust that you would teach us that we can really engage and learn from each other and most of all be taught by you. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone says, Amen.